you have a Bible, you want to turn to Ephesians 5 that Mary just read as we dive into this text. I think Andrew got us off to a good start last week in dealing with this, and uh, we will be looking at this text again this morning. I have to tell you that uh, speaking on this text uh, gives me a little bit of heartburn, okay? For a couple of different reasons. Number one is this text has been distorted and misused in the church by out-of-control husbands who have used this text in an ungodly way to harm and hurt and damage their spouse. And so if you're here this morning or you're watching online and that's been your experience or you observed a marriage like that, it's difficult to see these words and not think of the distortion and the evil that was justified by a distortion of God's word. So that concerns me. It makes this hard to talk about. I think the other thing that, 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 that gets to me is that I'm going to be talking about wives and their responsibility. And, and if you haven't noticed, I'm a man. I know I have a girl's name, Tracy, but it, it doesn't help. So I feel uncomfortable about how that will be perceived, how that will be heard. I get that. And I just want to encourage any wife or any woman who, in hearing this presentation, I'm, I, I'm not, you're confused by what I said. Maybe you're irate because of what I said. Email me. Uh, I, I, I will respond to you. And I do have uh, Mary McCormick has g- generously agreed to dialogue with anyone who has more questions, may be confused or upset, to help you walk through this text. The other problem with this text is we live in a culture that, 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 that denigrates marriage. You have to understand this. The world views marriage, particularly Christian marriage, as a dangerous institution. By definition, sexist. By definition, misogynistic. By definition, evil. So that makes it difficult to speak about. It's also difficult because there are all kinds of different situations that I'm not going to be able to address this morning. I'm not going to deal with single moms and single dads and how this text applies to you. I'm not even really going to help you if you're married and your spouse is not a believer. I'm not sure I'm going to answer the kinds of questions you would have. Be speaking to marriages, particularly where the husband and the wife are both believers and call you to follow this text as is. The other problem with this text is that a lot of marriages are worried about sort of the details of it. What does this mean? Can I work outside the house? Can I, can I do this? Can I do that? And, and of course, the other problem is, is that there's this almost an infinite number of different kinds of men and different kinds of women who have to apply these texts. And, and how that looks like in each individual marriage is often very different than other marriages, but still following the passage. And that makes it challenging. So I'm not sure I made a mistake or not. I had a very detailed thing that I was almost going to read to you, and I threw it away this morning and made a very short outline. So I'll be speaking from my heart. This may cause more problems. You can fill my inbox full. That's fine. I'm happy to respond to you. But what I want us to see in this text... So I think what Paul is doing here is he's 
showing us how to realign our marriage partnerships under the lordship of Jesus Christ so that we can so that our marriage partnership will fulfill the purposes that God has for our marriages. What Paul is trying to do here is to help us realign our marriage partnership so that our marriage partnership will reflect the purpose for which God had when he designed marriage so that we can live out his purposes to display the beauty and glory of Christ to the world. And so with that in mind, I'm going to give you four ways to realign your marriage partnership. Let's look at the first is this. If you want to realign your marriage, you have got to have a crystal clear understanding of the vision, the God-given vision for your partnership. Take a look at verse 31. You heard Mary read it. Since therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Paul is quoting there from the Old Testament, sort of the foundation understanding of what marriage was to be. And then in verse 32, the provocative vision that Paul gives is this. This mystery is profound. Speaking of marriage, and then says, I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. What Paul is saying here is that marriage in and of itself between a man and a woman, this one flesh partnership that God designed is is a picture more deeply, more profoundly of Christ and his church. In other words, married couples, your marriage is not fundamentally about you. It is about the reputation of Jesus Christ. It's about providing a picture to the world of what Christ and the church are all about. That's the profound mystery of marriage that Paul is driving at. He's giving us a a vision. It's not about you primarily. It's not about you getting your needs met, although I hope your marriage does that. It's it's not simply about being a family or being being married. It's, It's about providing a picture to the world, to your children, to the church, about what Jesus Christ and the church are all about. That is the vision for marriage. And I would say one of the troubles in Christian marriage is that we lose sight of this vision. We take our eyes off of this vision. We, 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 we fail to see that the reputation of Jesus Christ and how our marriage functions, how this partnership functions, is crucial. Now, I want to give a little bit more details on this. I, I'm not going to have you turn there, but some of you may want to turn this afternoon. Genesis 2 talks about marriage. If you remember, God has Adam naming all the animals, and there was no partner for Adam in this arrangement. And God said, it's not good for for Adam to be alone. Then he creates from Adam a woman and then puts them together in this complementary partnership, a, a, a partnership where they are equal before God, both made in the image of God, we're told in Genesis 1, and that this partnership was designed to be a place where husband and wife in this partnership as equal partners made in the image of God were, were, were supposed to carry out the purpose of God, which is to manage the world under God's authority. That's what marriage was about. 
Now, the problem is, by the time you get to Genesis 3, when sin comes into the picture, there's a real problem with marriage. Now you have sin coming in, and now this unity of partnership, this, this equal partnership, man and woman together in the image of God to, to manage the world under God's authority, is now compromised by sin. It's now made tenuous by sin. It's now been made complicated by sin, so that now, because of sin, both husband and wife... Instead of forming this partnership to manage the world under God's authority, they now have other agendas corrupted by sin. And the way Genesis talks about it is that the man has a tendency to, 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 to rule over his wife in an ungodly way and the wife has a desire to do the same thing. They're now at odds. They're now compromised. The partnership is in jeopardy. And so when we get to Ephesians 5, since God's, uh, the purpose of Ephesians in part is to describe how the broken world can be put back together under God's authority, Ephesians 1.10, that the purpose of God is to unite all things under him and that the church of Jesus Christ is to be the, the central place where this is to happen in the world through the power of the gospel. What Paul does in Ephesians 5 is he then says, I want to show you how marriage, which is a unit within the larger body of Christ, how the marriage partnership can be realigned to accomplish the purpose of bringing all things in heaven and earth under the authority of Christ and that this partnership has an important part to play in the redemptive plan of God. So I think that's another part of the vision here that is consistent with the context of Ephesians. Husbands and wives are to form this unity of purpose, unity of vision. To, 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 to be brought together through the power of the gospel and in their marriage union to be this partnership that is engaged in helping the world get back under the authority of Christ and to display the beauty of Christ's love for the church in their relationship. That's the vision of marriage that Paul wants us to realign to. And I would say this is where marriage breaks down even among Christians. Is this vision, this God-centered, Christ-centered vision that goes way beyond whether my needs are being met now or whether, 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 whether I'm getting what I want out of this partnership, to have a God-centered, God-oriented vision for your partnership that has noth nothing really to do with you per se, has everything to do with the reputation of Christ and the redemptive plan of God is central to realigning your marriage and your partnership under the authority of God for the glory of God. I think this would be a nice little discussion question for husbands and wives this afternoon. Is that our vision? Have we lost sight of that vision? How well are we displaying the beauty and glory of God? How well are we uniting ourselves to this, this ultimate purpose of God to unite all things in him? How are we doing? What's the picture we're providing for our children, for the larger world that, that looks in on our marriage? Is the picture that we're providing for people a little blurry, a little fuzzy, a little distorted? I think we all have to understand that because of sin, the marriage partnership designed by God is fraught 
with all kinds of dangers. I've already alluded to it before, but the world has a very, uh, a very downgraded view of marriage. It's dangerous. It, 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 it's, it's, it's a power game. And you know, in the name of Christ, women have been harmed. So the world is, is not going to give you encouragement to have this kind of vision for your marriage. The reality is your flesh that you fight with every day is also not going to tell you to do the right thing. Your flesh is going to tell you, protect yourself. Get what you need. Watch out. This is dangerous. This is risky. Live for yourself. And of course, the evil one, Satan, has no interest in allowing Christian marriages to flourish and and give a beautiful picture of Christ's love for the church, to give this, this picture of the redemptive plan of God being worked out in this partnership. Satan has no interest in seeing those things flourish. And you wonder why many Christian marriages struggle because there is a lot arrayed against it because it has to do with the reputation of Christ and it's under siege. The interesting thing about marriage is that uh, you know, I, I looked up statistics last night you know, you know, on Google. I'm sure it's accurate, <laughs> maybe. But they estimate between 40 and 50% of all marriages dissolve. And the numbers for Christian marriages are not that much different than the world. That's a shame. That's a, that's a, that's a, obviously, we've lost sight of the vision for marriage. But you think about it. Two out of every five marriages at the minimum fail. Would you fly in a plane if two out of every five planes crashed? And yet people still do it. I appeal to you that are married. And I appeal to you who are considering marriage. If you're going to have a marriage that's aligned properly, a marriage that flourishes, you have to keep the vision for what your partnership is about front and center. It's not about you. It's about Christ and his church and this picture you're supposed to present. And it's about the fact that you are this partnership, this unit within the larger church that's designed to be part of the way God puts the world back together through you and through the power of the gospel lived out in a marriage partnership. That's the first way. The second way to realign your marriage, I'm going to talk to you husbands. I feel real comfortable talking to husbands. I'm a husband. It won't be hard to convict us all, right? It's very simple, husbands, what you need to do to realign your marriage. We see it in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Simple, guys. You need to be prepared to die, all right? Husbands have a sacrificial responsibility to our partner, our spouse. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. What does Paul say right after? And gave himself up for her. The model for men and husbands is we look to Jesus. We see what Jesus did for us. We see that it cost Jesus everything to restore our relationship with him. We take a look at Jesus and then we look at our wife and we model ourselves on what Jesus did. Giving up everything for the sake of our partner, for the sake of our spouse. 
Paul goes on, verse 20, 26, that he might sanctify her, speaking of Jesus, cleansing her by the washing of water with the word so that, it might be, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In other words, we look at Jesus. Not only did he die for the church, but he brought together his full resources to help the church be all that the church needed to be. Holy, sanctified, growing in Christ's likeness. That's what Jesus is about. And that's what a husband has to be about. We have a sacrificial responsibility to our wives to see that that we lay down our lives for her. But it's not just laying down our life for her. It's laying down our life for her for, for similar spiritual purposes. We're not the ones who can sanctify our wife, but we want to point our wife to Christ. We want to, to see that she grows spiritually. We want to see that she flourishes spiritually. That our focus is for the well-being of our spouse without thinking about what we need so much. We lay down our lives, our desires, in the same way that Christ laid down his life for us. And to see that our wives are encouraged spiritually, pointing our wives to Christ so that Christ can continue to do the good work in our partner as he's done with us. He goes on in verse 28, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. There's this sense of, of nourishing and, and cherishing our life partner. And, and, and the reality is you can't divorce this, um, no, pun in, no pun intended, you can't divorce this action of the husband from the overall vision of the marriage. If your partner that God gave you is designed to work with you to see the world reunited under the Lordship of Christ, if we're supposed to be this picture of, of Christ's love for the church, a husband has to nourish and cherish and, 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 and work with his spouse to help her be all that she needs to be so that the partnership can fulfill its ultimate purpose. Now, this is a hard passage for me. I mean, I, I'm just being be honest. I look at this and I say, good grief. You know, how many times would I think about myself? How many times was I, where, where the spiritual condition of, of my wife was not what I was thinking about? It's not my focus. I lost my focus on what the marriage was supposed to be and I, I made it about me. And in talking to many husbands in troubled marriages for the last 30 years, I can tell you when things run awry, oftentimes it was because not, again, it takes two to tango. Okay. I'll get to the wives in a minute and you can get your emails going. All right. You're talking to a husband and you realize that the main problem that this husband had is he came into the marriage not prepared to die for his wife in this way. He kind of bought into this sort of the Hollywood picture of love. You meet this person, they make you feel great. It's great. You have a wonderful time. You go out in these nice things. And then when real life hit, when they actually were married, the husband was not prepared to live and be like Jesus Christ for his partner. Lost sight of the purpose of marriage, made it about himself, and was unable to do what Christ 
does for the church. You think about this, husbands. How does Jesus deal with you when you, when we sang a song earlier, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God. What does Jesus do when we get off track? What does he do? Does he write us off? Does he go watch sports? Whatever he does? No, Jesus pursues us. Jesus brings, brings the full power of, of himself to, to woo us back, to draw us back. He continues to forgive us. We have a confession of sin every week. He forgives. So husbands, you have this sacrificial responsibility to die. One more thing about this. I, I, I'm saying the word responsibility. So I know if you're sort of egalitarian, or you, you, you see, heard that word, and, oh, here we go. Oh, the man is the head. Well, I'm going to get to this when they talk about the women. Let me just say this. Jesus Christ is the Lord of the universe. Jesus Christ is the king of the universe. Okay? This is the problem a lot of people have with Jesus, that he says he's the king. People love Jesus when he's feeding the poor. People love Jesus when he's, when he's telling us to love our neighbor as ourselves. We love that. When he says he's king and he's the only one we have to submit to to get into heaven, we don't like that. But listen, a crucified king, a crucified Lord, a crucified God is not a, a, a recipe for tyranny. Or abuse. And a Christian husband who takes responsibility for the partnership in this sacrificial manner is not a threat to a wife. Crucified Messiah coerces no one. A crucified Savior abuses no one. A crucified Savior tyrannizes no one. And a crucified, so to speak, husband who lays down his life on a regular, consistent basis. A person who lives like Jesus to his life partner in the the, the service of these larger goals is not someone that you should fear. It's actually a, a man who you can trust and respect. So that's the second way to realign our marriages. Husbands, we've got a lot of work to do. Probably a lot of confession of sin this afternoon, maybe. The third way, verse 22, for wives. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husband. That's the third way. Now to the fourth. <laughs> well, this is, a, this is a bad text for a lot of reasons. One is we're Americans. Right? Do you understand that that is a problem? We don't submit. Right? How did we start our country? Right? I'll give you a little line from the musical Hamilton. Why should a tiny island across the sea regulate the price of tea. When we didn't like what England was doing, we threw the tea in the Boston Harbor and we rebelled. Americans are not good at submitting. We've never been good at submitting. Submitting is a dirty word. I want to try to encourage wives that what God is asking you to do is not servile submission to your husband. It's not waiting around for him to tell you what to do next. That is not 
what God is asking you to do. You need to think about what, how does the church respond to Jesus, right? I mean, God, uh, Jesus himself told us, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, okay? So even Jesus, when he calls the church to submit to God in every area of our life, he says, submit your strength, your mind, okay? Well, what is being asked here is not some mindless, it's called, it's intelligent. It's intelligent partnering with your husband that uses your mind and uses your strengths in a godly way to help the partnership be all that it needs to be. That's what Paul is, I think, encouraging wives to do. If you go back to the Genesis 2 passage where it talks about the wife being the helper to the husband, that word sounds like a weak word. It's a strong word. It's often used of God. He's a helper. That's not weak. That's not servile. It's saying that a wife's responsibility is to organize her life and all of her gifts and all of her talents to partner with her husband to see that the partnership is all that it needs to be to glorify God, to, to order the world under God's authority and to see that the picture of the marriage is a picture that shows the beauty of Christ's relationship to the church. Submission is intelligent. Submission is voluntary. Submission is organizing your life to complement your husband, knowing that it's not good for your husband to be alone. You know that, wives. You know. To work together for the larger vision, bringing everything you have to the table in a good and godly way. And of course, this is the rub with both the word submission for, for, for wives and, and, for, uh, and husbands, right? Jesus was the Lord of the universe, right? He was God, and he showed that. He stopped the storm, right? Quiet and everything. But he also washed his disciples' feet. Something that the disciples should have been doing for him, Right? So if you look at a godly husband who's, who's exercising responsibility, sacrificial responsibility, yes, yeah, sometimes the husband will, will say things that need to be said, but sometimes he'll be washing his wife's feet. It'll be hard to tell. Is this the leader? Who's the leader in this relationship? Hard to tell. Same thing with a wife. Submit, organizing your life in the partnership means, wives, you're going to speak. You're going to say things. You're going to comment on how the partnership is going. You're not going to be afraid to speak the truth in love. My most helpful critic is Denise Troxell. Now, she does practice this. Every sermon is the greatest sermon she ever heard until Tuesday. And then I get the truth. I need her. I need her to speak up. I need her to say, this is wrong. I need her to, to confront me. Why? We're a partnership designed to display the beauty and glory of God. And we all have to do our part. Husbands have to lay down their lives. And in some sense, a woman has to lay down her life by bringing all of the, her resources to help the partnership be all that it needs to be. Think about submission. Think about Jesus Christ for just a second here. Jesus Christ was God himself. He was equal with God. He was God. He put on a human body, became a servant, came to earth 
to fulfill his father's plan to bring redemption to the world through his death. And when you see Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, when you see Jesus stumbling around in the garden, and he was, sweating drops of blood, not because he's worried about being crucified per se. He, I think, has been given a vision of what he's going to have to do to save us, which is to bear our sins upon himself. He has been in perfect union and fellowship and intimacy with God the Father from eternity past. And now he contemplates losing all of that to save wretches like us. He's sweating drops of blood because he's almost overcome to the point of death before he even got to the cross. What you see there is God submitting himself to Father God to see the redemption of the world take place. That is not weak, servile submission. That is not unintelligent, mindless, uh, you know, forget about thinking through. It's a thoughtful, voluntary, loving commitment and sacrifice to do all that is necessary to see God's plan of restoration of the world take place. And that's what wives are called to and husbands in in a slightly different way. But in some sense, we're both called to massive amounts of sacrifice for the sake of God's redemptive plan. One last way. First way to realign our marriage partnerships to do what God intended us to do in marriage is to have the right vision. We're supposed to let the world look like what Christ loves the church. We're supposed to show a picture of what that is. We're also supposed to manage the world under his authority. And a marriage partnership is designed to see that happen in miniature as, as well as the rest of the church. Husbands have their responsibilities. Wives have their responsibilities. Equally sacrificial. The last way to realign your marriage partnership is to realize this. You can't do this on your own power, in your own strength. You can't. You won't. This is why before we got into this text, we had this text, Ephesians five fifteen to 21, that talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, without the filling of the Holy Spirit, husbands will never sacrifice like they're supposed to, and women won't be able to do what they're called to do either. Now, I'm sorry, uh, Jim Erickson was going to preach on the filling of the Holy Spirit a couple weeks ago. Got sick. He's doing better now. Keep praying for him. So we didn't take that text so much. So unfortunately, we're having to go through our Ephesians series without the power of the filling of the Spirit. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. You can't do this in your own power. You can't do this in your own strength. It's interesting that the filling of the Holy Spirit is the basis for us submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. See, in some sense, those of you who are single, I know we've been focused on marriage, but the reality is the purpose of the church is that all of us together would display the beauty and glory and unity that can only be found in Christ Jesus to the world and work together. And the only way that happens, we have to submit to one another. And we're not that great at it, are we? Honestly. We have to have the power of the Spirit to submit to one another. We don't like submitting to one another. We don't like putting other people's needs and desires ahead of our own. We want what we want now. 
And why are there so many churches around the world that struggle to be all that they need to be because the Spirit of God hasn't been able to get them to learn to submit to one another? It's not easy. And in some sense, at a practical level, I will say this, a good marriage, a good partnership, when you simply look at it, it will look like at various times they're both submitting to one another. Yes, And yet that's so hard for us to do. We can't do it on our own. So let me go to verse 33 as we wrap up. It says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Since I don't believe you can do this thing called marriage well, apart from the spirit of God and the supernatural power of God to help you do this, I want to encourage us as a church to pray for marriage, but I particularly want to encourage those of you who are married or on the way to getting married, you need to spend more time every day praying that you can fulfill your responsibility to your spouse and pray more that God would help your spouse to be able to fulfill their responsibility because apart from Christ and apart from the filling of the Spirit, this is not going to happen very easily. And I think too often we get frustrated if our spouse isn't doing well. We, we think about ourselves. We try to manipulate them through all kinds of different ways, of course. Some of you are passive aggressive. You shut up. Some of you speak more. Husbands and wives sometimes do very similar things to one another. My question for you, since this partnership, this marriage partnership is part of God's plan to show the world what Christ's love for the church is like, since the marriage partnership is almost like the smallest unit of the church that's supposed to live out the purpose of God to unite all things in himself, I ask you lovingly, are you praying for your spouse to do the impossible thing that this text asks her to do? Wives, are you praying for your husbands that they'll be able to love you as Christ loved the church? Are you asking God to help you fulfill your responsibilities in order to align the marriage? Are you asking God to give you both a grand vision of what your marriage is supposed to be like? I'm pretty confident that if husbands and wives prayed for each other in this kind of intentional manner, more consistently, more comprehensively, I think all of our marriages would improve significantly. But it has to be because we understand we cannot do this in our own strength. We need a gospel, God-ordained vision of what marriage is supposed to be. Husbands, sacrificial responsibility that lays down your life as Christ did for the church. Wives bringing all of your resources together, submitting in some sense yourself, but to, to working to bring all of what you bring to bear to help the per- partnership be all that it needs to be. And with lots and lots of prayer, I believe that the marriages of Stone Hill can provide clearer, more coherent, more consistent pictures of the love that Christ has for the church and the world desperately needs to see these pictures. I'm going to pray for husbands and wives now as we close. Let's pray together. 
Father in heaven, I pray for each person in this room, but particularly those husbands and wives, whether they're home, online, whether they're here this morning. I pray that you would help each of them to grab a, a deeper vision of what their marriage is supposed to be. A vision of the, the glory of Christ and his love for the church, the, 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 the glory of being this partnership designed to be used of God to unite all things under heaven and in earth through the power of the gospel, through the power of that relationship. I pray that there'd be a deeper and grasp of this vision that would, would keep before them. I pray for husbands, that they would provide sacrificial responsibility for this partnership, consistent with what Christ has done. I pray for wives that they would have, provide sacrificial partnering, sacrificing themselves in order to help the partnership be all that it needs to be. And I pray for husbands and wives that they would pray for themselves, but pray for one another that they would be able to accomplish this great purpose that apart from Christ, we cannot do. Apart from the filling of the Spirit, it's impossible. Do this work in our lives, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name.